We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the True Faith Weekly Podcast, sponsored by Phoenix Taxis and Coaches. To book online, please visit www.phoenixtaxis.net. Hello, welcome to True Faith Weekly Podcast. New, improved, short music there. Hope you've all enjoyed that. Obviously, you lads with me couldn't hear it, so take me word for it that it's much shorter. <laughs> so, um, positive, uh, good start. Yeah, positive start. We're going to talk today about Newcastle's win at Bournemouth, which was both class and disgraceful at the same time. <laughs> and then we're going to go through our prominent points as usual. And I've got another listener's challenge, which no one got right last week. We had four entries Zero correct. Oof. So Dogger not only beat the podcast lads last week, I beat the listeners. So I'm buzzing. You did tell me that I was uh, very close. Did anyone get... No one close? got as close as you. I'll take yeah. that then. But more on that later. A couple of notices first. Last week I did a podcast with the Newcastle United Supporters Trust, uh, Mick Martin, who's on the board, and Peter Fannin, who is uh, very high up in the trust. We talked about fan ownership. That podcast is available to listen to uh, on SoundCloud and iTunes now. If you're a football fan, you should listen to it. I found it absolutely fascinating. I listened to it on Friday night. I found it really interesting as well. It's, it's it, good good listen. It's good, Ben, isn't it? How, like, what I, what I found, just because I didn't really say too much, I just kind of mm-hmm. hosted. And what I found mo- most interesting is that their arguments were so sound. Yeah, definitely. Like, it's, if you talk about fan ownership, why can't it happen? Mm-hmm. And... I think the, the main point I took from the whole of the podcast with, with Peter and Michael was that absolutely no football team, probably in the world, but in the United Kingdom, was created to make money. Mm-hmm. And yet everyone seems to accept that football clubs have to make money. Mm-hmm. It's kind of our accepted thing. Oh, well, they had to do that. People people stick up for the Milton Keynes uh, dons because, you know, Wimbledon were, weren't making any money. So what were they supposed to do? Well, that's, that's not why Wimbledon as a football club <laughs> yeah. was formed. Yeah. It wasn't formed to make money. Even like obviously, what what AFC Wimbledon fans did was brilliant. But those fans would have much rather had a, a football team that maybe went down a couple of leagues than moved a hundred miles because it, you know, quote unquote, made money. Have a listen to that this week. Really excited. I've got another podcast with Martin Hardy. 
writer of Touching Distance. If you have any questions, we're doing it on the 95-96 season. Martin has spoke to absolutely everybody that matters about that season, seminal season in Newcastle United's recent history. So get in touch on Twitter, at TFWeeklyPod, uh, and I'll put anything you've got to ask to Martin. I'm sure he'll be delighted to answer it and have a listen to that. It'll be out later this week. Lads, we're going to start off by talking about the big news this week. Kieran Dyer. Going in the jungle. Going in the jungle. I'm just like the girls this afternoon, we're just rattling through. I wasn't really paying attention. Just rattling through all the names that are going on. And then I heard one name. I was like, hang on, what did you just say? <laughs> like, Kieran Dyer. I was like, Kieran Dyer is going in the British jungle. Like, how far has his career dropped? A, a very, he was coaching. A very loose uh, celebrity term that got to be. <laughs> I was going to say, it's not like he's out in the public. Like, no. I thought he was just like a coach. Yeah. Or done anything honest, else. Was, was, wasn't he at Ipswich, Mike? Oh, it was Ipswich, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah he's, coaching, he's coaching some of the young kids that are 16 to that. I was absolutely gutted when I saw him again. Yeah. Is, Why? is he a bit hard up? Hang on, that makes it sound like you're a really big fan of the show and you're like one of some genuine celebs. <laughs> <laughs> never really thought like oh he's a good lad or like he's got some crap about him so I don't know how that's going to work in terms of like how he's going to come uh, across he's got, he's in not really high pitched voice he's not really like <laughs> not like media presence is he mm. no, one, no one wants his opinion on anything to be fair to him he's, he's always been a good lad about it he always plays in the, in the charity benefit games always turns up like to support the academy um, for a lot of time when he, when he wasn't at the club so he's a, he's a, he's a decent lad which I don't know how much personality he's got Someone give that man a knighthood. <laughs> I was going to say, that cheers, Mike. Uh, Kieran Dyer's agent. Like, um, also, yeah, also, a special week, lads. It is the 50th proper podcast that we've done. Really good. The big 5-0. Wow. So it's the 50th league game. We've actually done a couple of specials on the national break, but we'll ignore them. Like, True Faith Weekly podcast talking about Newcastle matches. It's a 50th, 50th game. Guess how many matches we've won Newcastle in that period? Not many. League games. Ha, less than 10. Get, guess. Well, yeah. we've been relegated, Ben. <laughs> yeah. There must be, it can't be many more than 10. 12. 12, 12 yeah, out of 50. Like, so we've sat here. So normally the podcasts were an hour and a half to begin with. So we've put in like. A lot of you know a good, a good. Who's about to try and do the math? I was gonna say a lot. I was gonna say a solid two days worth. And you, you guys who've listened from the start or listened regularly, you've wasted two days of your life yeah. listening to us talk about Newcastle not winning and more often than not getting beat. So you may as well just carry on. Really. Yeah, exactly. You got this far in. Get more people in. Yeah, but you know, uh, one final thing before we start talking about a match, I have to have a little rant. Yesterday, I purchased an Xbox One. <laughs> Finally took the plunge after years of like kind of pieing off getting a PS4 and Xbox for FIFA and stuff like that. I, I, I'm I absolutely shocked at the customer service of Microsoft. Can we just say allegedly here, just in case they get in touch? Yeah, and, uh, sorry. Sorry, Sunland Football Club. Take it down. Forgot to say hello to Sunland Football yeah, Club, yeah. long-time listeners. You might get a phone call from Bill Bates. <laughs> um, Adam Johnson as well, big fan of the show. Um <laughs> Bill Bates, did you just call it? <laughs> Bill Gates, I think you mean. Oh, <laughs> Ben, you're a bit slow in the old gag there. But anyway, I bought an Xbox, and I, I'm used to, like, I'm from the Nintendo 64 generation, where you'd come back with your new console, you get it on your birthday, you'd ram in the cartridge or the disc, whatever console you had, and you're away, you're flying. Put my Xbox on, update. 
Two and a half hours. <laughs> Two and a half hours it took. Champion, there we go. Right, I bought a FIFA bundle. There's no FIFA in the box. Oh, it's a, you've got to fucking download it. It is still... It is 21.36 on Monday night. <laughs> and you saw the 19% sigh. It is still downloading. Over 24 hours. My internet connection's not the best, but I can stream on it. <laughs> Skype on it. Like, you know, never had any issues with it. It's not fucking, you know, fiber optic, but still... Can you imagine being a kid on Christmas morning opening that Xbox? It's like, oh, I can't wait. You might have it by New Year. I was going to say, uh, scheduling a game in July. Something like that. <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh, that, that, that is how today's children, no wonder they're all pricks. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly. We're going to talk about, we're gonna talk about uh, Bournemouth nil Newcastle 1 after this. So Newcastle United no. So, sorry, Bournemouth nil, Newcastle United won. Much needed three points for Newcastle, as we said before. Only our 12th win while doing this podcast in about 18 months. Sai, you didn't see the game. Why? Um, I was in, uh, which sounds ridiculous because it was a lot closer to Bournemouth than you were. <laughs> but I was in London watching a musical. What, 12 o'clock midday? No, but I was not in, in any position to watch it, unfortunately. Well, let's just say about that. I was going to say, yeah, so we I've all. I've got a weekend to think of an excuse. I've not. <laughs> I, just, I just didn't see. Well, it. just just since you didn't watch the game, it's interesting because we were watching him. Obviously, and we've consumed a lot of media on Twitter and you know read reports of the game and stuff like that, and had to listen to the ridiculous biased commentary on the day. You've obviously seen the highlights yeah. from the highlights and what you've seen. What did you make of it? It'd be interesting to compare to Ben who watched the game. We've obviously the highlights. I think we were the second last or third last game on match of the day. That's all I've seen still. And um, obviously, I was following the match on on whatever the, the app is with it, where you just keep the scores and, and the the stats and stuff. <laughs> That's it. And Twitter and everyone's reaction. I, I didn't watch match of the day. I'll send them on. Everyone's reaction was, "How the hell have we still three points? It's an absolute. It's the biggest robbery since like the train train robbery, or whatever." Um, and then when I watched the highlights, I was like, well, hang on. Actually, we've not really had anything to worry about here. I just showed a couple of blasts over the bar from Matt Ritchie. Rob Elliott's made one save where the ball's come across, and he's had to come to the other post, and he, he knows nothing about it. And they're like, oh, Rob Elliott's had the best game of his life, which he probably has, but <laughs> I don't think he's actually made many good big saves. He's made one or two textbook saves, and that one which he didn't seem to know much about. Other than that, they showed our two chances to them, maybe four on match of the day, and it really kind of made me think, was it really that bad? Did we really get hammered? And did we really steal three points? Or were they just a poor team that couldn't finish and couldn't shoot? So We definitely yes. stole the three points. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, that's, that is yes. I think uh, before we come on to maybe the problems which we're going to talk to you about, Ben, and we'll get your take on Sai, I agree with Sai that when I watched the match, I thought, fuck me, this is... And it was diabolical for Newcastle. If we'd lost that game, people would be going mental. Mm-hmm. Rightly so. Um, but when you watch the highlights, you think, and, and I, I, I'm going to get into this later, but I, I pick up a bit of criticism on, on the old social media on Sunday morning <laughs> when I do my 16 talking points all the match at TF Weekly Pod um, <laughs> for the second week in a row. And it's like with Rob Elliott, who I talked about last week, and I'm not a Rob Elliott fan, which I'll talk about later, he had a, he had a really good game um, and he punched a lot, which was good considering the conditions, and he was a bit better off his line. But most of the saves, he'd be disappointed. Uh, that if he didn't make them and Bournemouth apart from once didn't actually get behind us and it was a bit like us at Stoke I thought our chances against Stoke were much better yeah. but it's like all of and Mike's going to talk to us about Bournemouth in a bit 
everything Bournemouth threw it with was either in front of the back four yeah. or cross. Exactly. And in the Premier League, that's not going to get you very far. That does. That, I'm not saying Bournemouth didn't deserve to absolutely win the game. They, they totally did. But it wasn't as if like a minor miracle had happened. I mean, for Newcastle to win, it was a joke because we had one shot on target. So, but but for, for people saying Bournemouth will, ne- will never play that well again and not win a game, I think if they played exactly the same and come with any kind of keeper who was worth their salt, yeah, they probably, probably still wouldn't score. Games, yeah. So we'll talk about Ben. Why were Newcastle so bad? Um, I don't really know. But it's bizarre, like why they were so so poor. I didn't think that in terms of the formations or anything. I didn't think they were set up any better that you would expect them to dominate the game or anything. Um, well, they had the obvious advantage in midfield, but. Four, five, one. We've come up against teams like that before and not sort of struggled as, as much as that. Um, I think the, our big problem was we just couldn't get a foothold in the game, couldn't get hold of the ball. Um, the midfield, that was probably the worst game I've, I've seen them put in this season. They just couldn't get any control. Um, Mitrovic was the most isolated I've seen him in, in weeks. Um, and Perez was, I think wasn't as um, involved in the game he couldn't get on the ball considering he, the role he's been playing recently give the ball away a lot as well and, and yeah retaining the ball really well he he just couldn't, um, couldn't couldn't bring anyone else into the game it seemed and Wijnaldum was anonymous again he seems to keep having these games away from home where he just doesn't touch the ball and you, you forget <laughs> he's playing sometimes yeah um, we've seen a couple of games this season the Swansea and um I can't think of the other one we talked about. West Ham. West Ham, that was the one. Um, which is a bit of a worry because away from home, as bad as we are normally, we can't afford to be playing with 10 men. But he needs to be finding a way to get into these games. And you think he's probably one of the better players in terms of retaining possession. You would want him on the ball as much as possible. And he just would either couldn't get in the ball or he was just um, too, too far out of it, I think away from home it might be a plan not to play him out wide just because I think he was wasted then and as I say he's much better equipped than the two we'll have playing centre mid to to retain the ball um, so I think that's something McLaren will need to look at going forward I mean the big thing um, was just the midfield um, I don't know if you want us to come on to that now well Si has something to say yeah I mean obviously again I've only seen the match today highlights I've read a couple of match reports and by all accounts yes Wijnaldum wasn't involved in the game at all so Soko had very little to do as well. Mm-hmm. And that's the danger we're, we're posed with this formation is that it's quite easy to just neutralise those two players, especially yeah. when we've just got Anita and Tioli in the middle. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is stop them and then all we've got, which we've got t- away with it. You take away Perez and Mitrovic without those. They rely yeah, exactly. on Soko and Wijnaldum yeah, exactly. to get it, it, makes, it means you need a moment of brilliance, which we kind of got from Perez. There's a bit of a... Oh, so, it was a, a lovely goal from Mitrovic's back heel. A soft goal from from the keeper's point of view, but nonetheless, yeah. he's it, took a chance well. Yeah, I mean, the, it was just the build of play was really nice, the little one-two with yeah. off, off Mitrovic with Wijnaldum and then Perez, as you say. That was Took the finish well, pitting it that early. I think it caught the keeper a bit. It was it was very direct, which isn't the kind of football we've been playing the last three or four games. We've been like building up to the midfield, and they were bypassed because they're completely mm-hmm. neutralised. And I think it is it's partly to do with the, the five on four, especially with the Nida and Tiara so deep. Mm-hmm. It's just that it's too easy to mark those two out the game. Um, and I think I hate to say it, but Alan Shearer made some good points in much of the day, which was at the end of the day, if you get the ball anywhere near the edge of their box or in the box, you need to just, just have a go. They were running through and, and just massing around with it and laying it off and taking yeah, silly that, shots. That like King, I was going to say, just he lost a chance by taking two or three extra touches yeah. that he didn't need to. 
but then there was just a like centre back across the box yeah, and then yeah. just like shooting from 40 yards instead of just you know trying to get just the ball in the danger area I mean especially I mean as you say we're, we're not his biggest fans with Rob Elliott I mean okay he, he had I'll give him his juicy he won with three points there um, no doubt but you you've got to be saying he has got to be thinking how our lads like test him like give him make him as you say the, the saves were they were good saves but I think had any of them gone in you would have been a bit disappointed in that I think that they should have tested him a lot more I mean I, I don't know stats wise if you've got them how many shots on target they had but they had 10 shots on target 10 shots on target one. Um, I can't really as you say other than the header uh, the back post there weren't really any of the way I was thinking yeah sort of <laughs> they should be scoring that yeah yeah. I mean some of the shots they should be doing better they have had like he's been given two or three yards to, to, to yeah, take a touch and have too a too high too central yeah. but let's talk about the midfield Ben then mm-hmm. and the lack of control so we've discussed in a few podcasts uh, over the, the last sort of few months when we've done them about Anita we've sort of we keep going hot and cold on him I guess um, the performance he put in against West Ham last season in the game that kept up was one of the best performances I've seen well the best performance I've seen from him one of the best sort of most satisfying performances I've seen from one of the midfielders for a while sort of since I guess Kabai's left the club um, he did everything he was really good on the ball he was pressing he looked really energetic um, covering the ground really well and it, it, it was a real sort of complete performance Um but you always think he needs he needs to maintain that because he's obviously he's not physically one of the biggest lads. He's he's quite easy to get around, um, and you just shrug him off. And he's really everyone sees him as sort of a possession midfielder to keep the ball, um, but he he just doesn't appear to be. When I watch games, I mean he's, the last couple of games I've seen him do it uh, twice against Stoke and again against Bournemouth. He gets the ball. Holds onto it for too long to the point where the opposition put him under pressure, and then he just gives a complete hospital pass, either to no one or to someone that's marked. And he he did it with two free kicks, basically actually against Stoke, where he just passed the ball into no man's land, yeah. and basically gave them a chance. And he did it again with both. And he just he's too slow on the ball. I think we've said before he doesn't look to go forward. He doesn't pick a good pass. Um, it was the Chef Word game, I think you were talking about where where people were making a run. And yeah. he would feign, play this great ball, the right ball, and then go back. Yeah. And it's just like, that's not how you're going to control games. You, especially with how um, sort of the the defence, obviously the way we're trying to play at the minute with the retaining possession, you need your centre mid to be comfortable on the ball. And I think that's where we'll miss something with callback because he will take the ball at any any moment. He's got a decent touch. He's, he's confident under pressure and he's... And he, he reads the game a lot better, and he's he's much better at ball control and ball retention. And the air, I just don't think has it. He's some, as I say, he's too easy to get under pressure. When we haven't got the ball, he's sitting far too deep, and it's almost as if he's scared to get out from his position. I want to see him using his pace and he's he's um, he's stamina to, to be running all game, putting people under pressure, um, putting himself about a bit more. But he's, he's just. He's been sitting in far too deep, and it just allows teams, especially when you're against three three men in midfield, they just pass around him. It's far yeah. too easy. I'll come on to that side. Yeah, you, you've nailed it there. Really, it's, it's partly to do with the the way that we, we've, we've since the start of the season, we've had the two centre mids really, really deep right in front of the house. But Thierry and Nito are two players that, as centre midfielders, you don't really want them on the ball. Uh, it's 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 kind of shit to have to say that as a fan, but you're looking at them thinking. I don't want them on the ball. They're not going to create anything. 
which then puts so much more reliance on the likes of Sissoko and the likes of Wijnaldum, and if it doesn't come good for them, that's when the fans turn, because they're the ones that we need to, to, to get goals, and if Sissoko has a game like he did on Saturday, by all accounts, where he's just frustrated and doesn't really get anything, gets no luck, he becomes the kind of scapegoat almost, because that's kind of the bridge between us when we win the ball and giving it away again. And in this sort of game, Sissoko and Wijnaldum, presumably, um, are the ones that, that almost come across as, as the, the the reason we've given away the ball so much. But it's because there's so much reliance on them that we pass the ball to them and right, now go, now go. Sissoko has four or five men on them because they're not worried about the ball going back to Anita Tierney. We can pass back to them all day and we'll go nowhere. Mm-hmm. So midfielders, like, all season, they can just leave them. They can just leave them. We can pass it back across the back four all day. We've got Colacini who might pick out a pass, but really, we're no threat with the back six having the ball. Yeah. So it's it's too easy to then just mark the other four, and I think that's gonna it's gonna come out of us more and more. I think Newcastle and McLaren have a massive problem away from home. Look at our away games this season: were shocking at Swansea, shocking at West Ham, shocking on Sunday, Saturday, very poor for a half against Man City. Sunderland doesn't really count, and we're good at Man U. But then again, for the first 20 25 minutes of Manu, we were in danger of being overran. And he's gone from the 4 2 3 1, which wasn't working, to this 4 4 4 1 1. And like you say, the interesting thing for me was future England manager Eddie Howe <laughs> fucked it really badly in the second half because he actually buckled and brought on two strikers. And once he brought on two strikers, that was it. The last 10 15 minutes was, was comfortable. Mm-hmm. And because Bournemouth lost that midfield superiority, yeah. and we've we've got a massive problem that we're good in places like West Ham and Bournemouth, even with the different formations, and we don't look like having a shot. And everyone says it, and I'm going to come on and win a bit. But everyone says everyone has a go at Sissoko. Unfortunately, at the moment, when Musa Sissoko doesn't play well, <laughs> the weekend aside, but no one played well apart from Robert Elliott, um, we don't win. That's a fact, yeah. and you can include Winnie Adam in that. When those two both aren't on form, we do not win football matches. And the easy thing to do away from home for our home sides against Newcastle United is just mark them throughout the game. Yeah, let Anita let have the ball. Let Toyota have the ball. They'll implode. They'll yeah. do something stupid like Ben saying, like Anita will tend to do. And it's I don't know where McLaren goes. Like Palace away is the next game, big game. I've no idea how he how he's going to approach that tactically because he he wants to if you if he wants to approach that in a four four one one with two in midfield against Palace's three man midfield mm-hmm. including Kabai who will basically get a free roll yeah. no one will put any pressure on him he might tell Perez to drop and chase him that's not Perez's game no. like good luck on that one I was going to say Perez will, that's not what he wants to be doing yeah. he shouldn't be out there marking playing defensive role as a mm. a support striker basically. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. It's, it's going to be a worry because obviously callbacks out for a long period. I think it. I mean, it sort of goes to that argument we've been having about how good callback is. You you do miss him when he's not there because at least he's a competent footballer. Um, I mean, it, I'm hoping Anita will prove us wrong, but I think he needs to find a bit. I, I don't know if it's just the complacency he's setting in because obviously his positions not under under any sort of um, threat. There's nobody there to replace him. Yeah. Um, so he probably he's, he doesn't have to sort of stand out and, and have that type of performance that he needed against West Ham he, he can just coast through games because he's just being asked to play a sort of a, a protective role I um, think it's hard for him Ben because you, you referenced his performance against West Ham mm-hmm. and everyone thought it was brilliant because mm-hmm. he was harrying he mm-hmm. was hassling he was in players faces mm-hmm. well he can't do that 
if you want to keep shape, defensive yeah. shape. Yeah. And obviously, John Carver in Newcastle was a fucking free for all. Mm-hmm. No one had a clue what anyone was playing. Um, so he, he had a lot more freedom in that game to just be like, get into them last. Yeah, Whereas that's not McLaren's game. Yeah, it's not. And also, well, he could do that if the players around him, like Sissoko, were willing to yeah. tuck in and do his sort of covering, but that's not a reality, is it? Um, I think going forward, it's not, as I say, it's not like there's any. I think the only real option they've got is to move either Sissoko or Wijnaldum inside and mm. either make it a three and maybe change the, the formation to sacrifice another player so the obvious one would be Perez yeah. hoy him out wide or replace him or well, you could bring um, De Jong in I suppose and play him in midfield yeah, and not no, play him as a support yeah, striker play him as a centre mid but again it's not I don't know whether that is his best role really so it's it's a tough one I think we're, we're, we're going to struggle away from games just because we're kind of get a foothold in the game um, Mike we're going to talk to you now about Bournemouth. Uh, where do they go from here? They're in the relegation zone for the first time this season, probably, you know, after the first game, first weekend. Um, and do you, Mike, do you buy this from what you you saw the game as that'll never happen in the end? Because I think it will happen again because the, they have no quality finishing and they also, like we've, we've referenced to, they created a lot of chances but they weren't as good a chance as a lot of the media were making out. I think the actual best chance of the game was hardly referenced. It was when Dummett, who I'll come on to, got absolutely done at left back. Player crossed in under no pressure, and Gosling missed it like missed his kick yeah, from about three yeah, yards yeah. out. But no one really talked about that, and it's like that's not bad luck. That's a lack of quality in the side. Like I, I know Dan Gosling would miss that because he was <laughs> shit for Newcastle. So, Mike, what's your take on Bournemouth and the kind of media narrative surrounding them? Yeah, I think they should be worried, um, as you say. If you have that much possession in the final third. And- and that many opportunities to, to get in behind the team and you don't and you, and you, and you end up losing the game it's going to play in your mind and I think the, the biggest difference for, that Bournemouth have got to overcome between the Championship and the Premier League is that speed of thought and speed of decision making and then that first touch you know, I know they've lost the likes of Callum Wilson and, and Max Gradle who, who give them that, that cutting edge up front um, and I think that can't be underplayed so, I mean Wilson could get in behind he has that pace he has that power to get behind and, and, and a couple of players there was a, I think it was Tommy Elphick on Five Live one of the defenders a couple of weeks ago was saying how they've had to adapt as a team to the, losing Callum Wilson changes the way they play and Glenn Murray himself has come out and said he, he struggled to, to adapt because the way Bournemouth play is they keep the ball a lot longer the build up is a lot slower than, than, he, than he had at the Palace so that changes the way that he makes runs and the way he plays so I think losing Wilson in particular has, has been a massive blow and not just purely because of the goals but the chances to, that they lose that they were create for other players because of the, the, the way they have to adapt to playing um, so I think I think that's a big problem now I know today they've had a, a US private equity firm come and they've got a, a 25% stake in the club um, with the remit of, uh, of, of spending it to, to, to establish them in the Premier League so we may well see them spend in January and I, and I think because it, they, they need that, that I say that speedy decision making in someone who will get when they're in the box that first touch and, and hit the target um, and so you, with those long term injuries you, you think they're going to have to spend and, uh, and I think they will yeah no that they're, they're all good points I didn't know that about the um the investment yeah it's just coming to I mean realistically with the size of ground that they've got being a long term Premier League club it's, it's going to be a, a struggle oh, it's a uh, you know like with, with with the lack of resources and I know obviously all Premier League clubs have massive resources but even being in the, the Premier League for a club like 
Bournemouth is absolutely, well, in my opinion, it's absolutely huge. But uh, yeah, I kind of agree with everything you're saying. Like you say, it's a, it's a harsh um, introduction. The wins that they've picked up so far um, were pretty spectacular. They won at West Ham, scored four goals, but obviously Wilson was about there and they picked up some handy draws since then. But the next, the next few games are really hard. I mean, uh, Swansea, who we'll come on to later, they've got Swansea away coming up. That's a big game for Swansea. Then they have Everton, who are no mugs. And then we, we, we kind of get into December. And Chelsea they've got Chelsea, Chelsea away. And as Ben says, they've got Man United. So that's that's a real tricky run. Of, I know Swansea aren't performing. And Everton are, are, are no world beaters. But you wouldn't say you'd look at any of those games for Bournemouth in the next four games and think points. Whereas Newcastle at home, when you dominate the game as they did, have as much as the ball and get men in the box like Manx says in the final third, you have to really worry for them. I, I think I think they could be cut off sooner rather than later. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I, think, I mean, January's going to be a really interesting month because there's a lot of, of new managers and, and clubs that are looking to spend. I mean, you look at Sunderland, obviously, imagine no. they'll they'll try and spend big. Villa, the same. Um, Bournemouth and it's going to be interesting obviously I, I don't see us spending yeah. big Do you Villa will still spend money? Mm. Nah, I well, think we'll talk about the Premier League later but I'll, just, I'll quickly before I come back to you two about where this leaves Newcastle for the you know how we've done this season and where we're going from here um, I'll do me one to eleven review we'll try and mix this round every week obviously in goal Rob Elliott had his best game for Newcastle only his 17th game in nearly five years at the club but you know thanks to everybody who tweeted me as soon as the game was finished as well both on the podcast account and my Twitter saying can't wait to hear you <laughs> kind of humble pie about Rob Elliott I'll say, I'll say that before Rob Elliott is Newcastle's third choice goalkeeper he's allowed to be shit like it's okay like what what Premier League has a third choice keeper like you can A name and B is any good so that's alright I just don't buy this and he's perfectly adequate he's, he's absolutely fine he's a good goalkeeper I had someone tell me on Twitter last week that he was better than Krull like go back and watch Liverpool, Newcastle nil, Liverpool 6 and Newcastle were a disgrace that day and watch Rob Elliott in goal watch, watch what he's like for all of the goals um, but you know fair play to him and he shouldn't be playing in the Premier League in my opinion as, a, as anything else than a third choice if, if he was any good another club would have come in and picked him up he's constantly injured every time he plays for her, he's injured Um but you know, credit where it's due. I thought more impressive than the saves he made this weekend was his ability to deal with crosses was very good. Mm-hmm. His kicking, despite being injured allegedly, apart from a couple, was good. And the defence seemed a lot more sure about him than they have done in the past few games, mm-hmm. like some underway in, in Stoke last week. I think just to come on that, I think it's he's, you can see he's building in confidence with these games. You know, he's obviously he's going to be playing all season now, and it's it's just about. Sort of building that confidence and that trust with the defence as you say there I think the biggest thing that helps defenders is when you know what your keeper's going to do with crosses yeah. you've seen it with Kr- Krull in the, the best days with how with him was when he would come and claim and catch catch crosses Yeah, the defence knew what was happening he would always come and he's a big lad and he, he would claim him really well now he doesn't Rob Elliott obviously doesn't need to come out and catch everything but at least he's he's decisive of what he's doing yeah. he's coming and getting a good punch on it and, and clearing the danger and that's all you can ask for as a defender I guess yeah uh, I think the one thing, the one one he did reference is the fact he managed to get across his line where he tipped onto the post. That was a really good save. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the kind of the ones that were kind of straight at him or above him, good saves. You've got to make them, and they look good. But it, you would expect him to make them. I thought Bournemouth's finishing was poor, but fair play. Rob Elliott was man of the match for Newcastle, without doubt. Uh, Jan Matt was excellent to a degree, as much as excellent can be in a 
terrible team performance like that, but he didn't really get done. He actually only picked up a second book of the season, which surprised me. I thought he'd had like five bookings. Obviously, he got booked twice at Swansea, okay, but one counts as yellow and one a red. Um, but that's just a bit of a fact. I thought Mbemba and Colaccini had a lot to do. Colaccini had a couple of mares where he got done again. But <laughs> overall, for, for for the constantly having to deal with attacks all game, I thought Mbemba and Colaccini were both solid. Clean sheet again, two clean sheets in a row. Um, fair enough. Take them all day. Paul Dunnett, who had a Frank strange... <laughs> Discussion with a few people on Twitter about him. I thought he was exposed to getting a left back. Listen, he's he's not a left back. He's a centre back. He he does a reasonable job filling in as a left back. Yeah, I think there's an argument to say I don't think he's ever let Newcastle down at centre back. And I would say that based on Colaccini's performances this season, you could say that Dummett and Stephen Taylor should be in the team ahead of him. It won't happen. But honestly, I think Dummett should be playing for Newcastle at centre back. I really like him as a left back. He offers not going forward. Not his fault. And he's only any good as a defender defending what's in front of him and there was a twice in the second half which is he got exposed by Wijnaldum not helping him Wijnaldum is also not a winger so can't defend like a winner winger and a couple of times when players pl- play kind of simple one-twos they get in behind them at every time and it's going to cost where um, some people took exception to this that he looked exposed I don't hate Paul Dummett um, as, as I kind of got whatever you do don't go and listen to any of the podcasts from last season though, but <laughs> yeah but um, yeah, I just thought he was. I just thought he's he's gonna cost her. But it's you know, I'd play Mbappe ahead of him at left back, and I'd play Haidar ahead of him at left back, and I'd play Dummett in the team at centre back. Mm-hmm. He's a good central defender who's doing a job on the left. He's not a left back. If, yeah, he's, he's got a bit of height in him as well, which we severely lack in the team. He's like six yeah. foot one or two. Like he's a decent size. He can win the ball in the air. He's no good at left back. He can't do anything with the ball on the floor. And he, as you say, he gets he gets beaten quite easily. And, He's not the quickest. He's, he's very good at recovering. There's a few times in the second half where they got in behind him because anytime someone plays a, he's unable to kind of track that runner or make or, or mark the space. He's constantly looking at the man with the ball because he's a centre back. Yeah. But what he is good at is getting in and recovering. And there's a couple of times he was they were in and he got back and made a really good tackle. Mm-hmm. That can also go the other way. And like we saw against Stoke, I don't think it was a pen, but mm-hmm. he was done. Both just kept running with the ball. Yeah. What could have been one 0 down because once again he'd been done in behind. So it's not a question of disliking Paul Dummett. I think he should be in the team at centre-back, but mm-hmm. I don't think he's the answer at left-back. And I think it's, you know, Mbabu, I don't know how fit he is, but I would certainly play. I know Mbabu apparently is apparently a centre-back as well by yeah. trade, but we saw against Chelsea and Man City, he, he's got a bit of talent on the ball. He's yeah, not afraid to get forward and run at players. He's just more confident, isn't he? On on the ball, he's, he's willing to make those forward runs, whereas Dummett will make them. Um but it's it just looks uncomfortable. He's he's not great on the ball, is he? As he said, I think he is a centre back. The, the rare event when he does go for the overlap, you know he's not going to get the ball. He doesn't want really it. He doesn't want it. Yeah, he knows, he's he overlapping. They don't really pay attention to him because he's no threat. Again, yeah. I mean, he's fair, not a fallback. I was going to say fair play to him. Though. I mean, he's he's doing the job. He did a job. He's part of a, a yeah. defence. I kept a clean sheet. Fair play to him. But all I said was Paul Dummett looked exposed as a left back, yeah. both by the, the the other the rest of the players in the team. And his own inability to kind of play a fullback. It's hardly the fucking like, you know, Paul Dummett's pitchfork brigade. Yeah, like, <laughs> get, him, get him killed. <laughs> um, too harsh on him. Uh, midfield, when Yaldemar just said, was very poor again. Um, I know we've just kind of talked about it earlier in the show. It's easy to mark him out the game away from home. I don't think he provided Dummett with any kind of protection on the left side, worries me. Um, he, I mean, one bit of quality, a lovely touch to Perez from uh, Mick Richards' back heel. And, that's probably the difference between us and Bournemouth. That the one, the one time we did get into the box, there was three bits of quality: Mitrovic's back heel, 
Wijnaldum's touch and Perez's control and finish were excellent, but Wijnaldum away from home, it's not working from on the left wing at the moment, unfortunately. Sissoko was non-existent. Um, again, when we as a team don't control the game and have possession, he again, he's just not in the match. Moving him inside might be the answer. It might alleviate some pressure. I appreciate that people still think he's very lazy. Um, but, you know, it wasn't a good game for Mr. Sogo, especially not on the week where it's allegedly out where he wants 100 grand a week. Yeah, I've seen that. That um, was mental. I'd pay him it, personally. Because when you're cancelled, we're not going to get anyone better. But it depends what you think. Most people will cry with fury at that. Um, <laughs> considering he cost was so little... And he's probably not on a big wage now. It's probably a, a wise investment. And if he plays any good, and a hundred grand for a Premier League player these days isn't like, you know, it's no, it's his, his point isn't I want a hundred grand because that's what I'm worth. His point is, I'm if the best you want player. me to stay here and not go and play Champions League football, I'm by far the best player in this team. You need to pay, pay me this much money, <laughs> otherwise I'll go and play for a, a top four club. Well. And Again, that's debatable whether he'd get, get in the team, but yeah, I know what you're saying. He's going to play in the Champions League somewhere. Yeah. And he is by far a better player. <laughs> so I think on that, because Collegini's come at the end of a contract, he's on stupid money. You could yeah. offset some of the Sissoko money with that. I agree, I would, I would pay him or something close to it, because he's classed. Yeah. Anita and Teode uh, were left exposed tactically by McLaren. They were both shocking. Uh, they both gave the ball away so often, it was just insane. But again, there was there was two very limited midfield players, and I thought Teodes started to look a bit better in recent weeks against a three-man Bournemouth attack playing at home with the freedom of the Vitality Stadium, whatever it's called. Um, Vitality, yeah. Yeah, so like very poor, both of them. Perez and Mitrovic were both poor. Perez gave the ball away constantly. Um, he didn't look himself, but he scored and got with three crucial points. And if you're a player who plays up front... Um, I think he needs to add goals to his game. He started doing that. That's you know a, a lovely goal. It was. It was a good finish with the outside of the foot. He took it early, and Mitrovic won a bit of quality from him. He didn't see him himself. He was struggling to hold the ball up. Yeah. But again, he was like you said, Ben. He was receiving the ball, and there was no one within forty yards of him. I still though, I was surprised with how he, he was dominated in the air for the first first time this season. I think. The, he didn't win many headers where you would think at least he'd get flick-ons or that's the thing. Or I, usually he, he'll sort of knock it down or he'll chest it hold it up if there's yeah. no around him whereas he just wasn't able to do that and I think a lot of that was probably to do with the, the quality of the balls going into him we were just lumping balls up Plus to him there was, panicking basically all clearances because there was no one ever running on mm-hmm. which there isn't anyway normally yeah. But it wasn't even a case of he could flick it on because it, no. it just would have been a nobody. No, but he, he has been doing that in games this season, as you say, where nobody's running on. He's still been winning the ball he, or yeah. doing something about it. He, he didn't do it on Saturday. But I just say, think it was because it was so obvious that the, the whole of the team were like yeah. miles back, flicking it on, whereas normally you might get Perez running on or Sissoko when yeah. you held him. Normally it was just like, shit, I'm just going to have to try and battle for this. Mm. Again, I only saw the highlights and the only time Mitrovic appeared on telly on today was for the goal. Yeah. Didn't see him really touch the ball at any other time. Um, I still, I still question the the choice to put Cisse on. Cisse is done. Like it, it sounds like he came on, and I, I posted earlier on, on Twitter. He probably got more touches of the ball than Mitrovic. Really? But then again, um, Bournemouth have changed formation at the time. Yeah, I just he's offside loads again. <laughs> he's just kind of he's just not not in, not in the game anymore. He's not. I think he's he's in his thirties now. He's, he's had all these injuries he doesn't look 
capable of playing Premier League football anymore, which is sad to say because I've loved him for the last two or three years. He's been such an important player for it. Yeah. He's one of the only reasons we're still in the Premier League after some of the, the close calls we've had, but it's just, it's there's no point anymore. It, we need to stop concentrating on different players. He's lack of football and ability is exposed, isn't it? When yeah. he's... Right, lads, where do we go from here? 12 games, 10 points, 4 points clear the relegation zone. Um, I'll start with you, Ben. Is this light at the end of the tunnel? I hope um, it's light out of the Has the light come out the tunnel? <laughs> I can is, see something. Is it the light at the end of the tunnel? Are we done with relegation fears? Or is this where we're going to be all season? It's too early to say we're done with it. Um, because obviously we're just going another run like we did for the first eight games. And picking up a few points, we'll be straight back in it. I do feel, however, that the, the teams below where are there for a reason. I think they'll be there. The four that will battle it out. Um, well, where where fourth and bottom? Uh, yeah, I'm forgetting Norwich. Obviously, yeah. picked up points often, but um, I think Norwich will be down there, sort of below it, um, at the end of the season. I mean, I I think we it's it's good to finally get three points, regardless of how we we played. Like we just need to keep keep making sure that we we take advantage of these opportunities. Um, I mean, I I saw a few people saying it's it's great when you're playing well, but at the end of the day if you're not getting points which we haven't been in the last few games that we've deserved it, it means nothing so give us three points and play badly any day of the week but I would say obviously <laughs> we're not going to do too well playing like that against teams um, we've got we've got let off the hook big time um, and you just think that's against the probably the weakest team in the league we're not going to go away from teams playing like that um, and, and do anything so I think there's still a hell of, hell of a lot of work to do and I, you still feel there's there's a few spots up for grabs. You would hope they'll they'll dip in in January and, and bring in a mid- midfielder to. that They've can just con- control or at least sort of hold hold his own in that midfield because Tiote is a he's only got one thing that he, he can only go through kick people and that's all he all he can do. He's terrible on the ball and I, I feel Anita is lacking in what we need. So especially while callback, I mean even if callback was fit, I would still say I would probably say centre is my priority. Just because it's, it just shows you how important it is to retain possession in games. If you can't do that, all the, the good players that you've got around you uh, just get lost. So, um, but I think it's it's a good start. We've, we've obviously we appear to be improving. I think obviously that performance didn't didn't show that, but we have been playing better. And I think it's just about sort of getting that stealing mentality at the back of sort of being able to keep clean sheets. Two on the bounce is brilliant. We don't ever <laughs> keep clean sheets, so. If, if the back foot can keep that up, um, that would be great. So, do you think that um, it's a chance to kick on and move up the table, or do you think we're going to be bottom five all season? No, I'm going to sound really negative here and and, and go with the latter. Um, the the performance was crap, and it was a one-off because we've played a bit better recently. But we've just come out of a run of nice fixtures with. With one win, and after Norwich, well, two wins, two wins. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll beat Norwich, but then after Norwich, you know, right, here we go. Season starts now. Let's kick on. Three matches, one goal, and and some all right performances. All right, Sunderland was was okay, but disappointing, etc. Stoke a little bit better, probably deserved something out of the game more than more than a draw, but not not setting the world alight. And then this, where we've scraped a win, but we've looked a bit crap. And then the next four games, it's, it's hard to see where we're going to get points. Leicester are flying. That's not. Really oh, I think we'll beat Leicester, but yeah, they're beatable potentially. If, if they're so as, open, as you always say, we need all four of our front players to, yeah. to be having a game. Yeah, Palace away is 
Tricky, I think Pardew's just... Take a point now, you take a yeah, point now, wouldn't you? He's always going to win that game, that's such as I look. And then I think, is it Liverpool and Spurs? Like, mm-hmm. we've got some horrible games coming up, which means that by Christmas, when we've got a couple of nice games again... Everton and West Brom and, and, and Villa. And Villa mm-hmm. We're going to be back in the bottom three, I think, needing to win games again, and the pressure's going to just keep coming back on, keep coming back on. We're only on at 10 points. We need another 30 by the, the usual rule, maybe a few less to stay up. Oh, I think we'll buy... The end of Christmas, the New Year period, if we take another ten points, that will put it on twenty points. Which, if Allah had for the true faith, for the true faith preview, which I did, which again picked up some criticism um, <laughs> for the on the website. Stop writing such controversy. <laughs> uh, I said that. Yeah, I said like realistically twenty points. I did a bit of research. Twenty points over, like you know, as the January transfer window opens, as you play your last, oh, when you're playing the FA Cup third round. Is like we'll see you between anywhere between tenth and sixteenth over the past few years. You've never been in the relegation zone, yeah. and I think ten points, which is only three wins and a draw from Vile. So what? Um, Leicester, Palace, Liverpool at home, Spurs away, Villa at home, West Brom, Everton, Arsenal. There's ten points there for the taking. Why not get all ten? But you'd expect to beat Villa, Everton at home. Maybe get something West Brom away. Maybe beat Leicester. Get a point at Palace. And then Liverpool at home, anything's a bonus. So already there, like ten points seems quite reasonable. I think anything less than that, we're really struggling. Nah, I agree. I mean, we we talked in about this sort of four game period. I think we're pretty much in agreement that we should really be getting nine points out of three games. Yeah. So we're falling just short of that at seven. But I, I think you would have taken seven if you'd been given it four games ago after that start. So as you say, there's things to build on, but we'll, we'll see. Right, I think that's about it for Newcastle this week. We've spent a long time talking about them, but you know, we won't. It's only 12th out of 50 <laughs> that we've done, and we're going to talk. We're going to have a couple of games, and we'll be talking about the Premier League after this. So, here we are, a couple of challenges and games now. The much loved, world adored Doggers game. The rules are quite simple, lads, as I'm sure you know by now. I'm going to give you a list of clues about a former Newcastle United player. Shout it out if you know the answer. You can't guess on the first two rounds. One guess per person per round. Okay? You, you didn't manage to beat me last week, so... Did. You didn't. I had to give you extra clues, so that doesn't count. Still counts. Who am I? I was born on the 29th of December, 1978. The lads furiously worked their maths out. I made 33 England appearances, scoring no goals. I will now accept clue uh, answers after this clue. Thank you, bud. I will now accept answers yeah. after this next clue. After leaving, Why would the- you say I will now accept. I'll now accept an answer, but, but not now. <laughs> Point taken. After leaving Newcastle United, I made only forty-eight more appearances in the next six years of my career. Can I guess now? Yeah. Oh no, it's not. <laughs> I scored twenty-three goals in one hundred and ninety games for Newcastle. Only one clue left. I was the only English player signed by Rude Hullet in Newcastle United. Have I beaten you again? Would you like- Am I allowed more than one guess? You can have. You've all got one guess left. You kidnas. Well, could I have me guess that was going to shout out before? It was wrong. It right. began with an A. Yeah. It was wrong. Right. Who was it? Who was it? I, like, so I was going to guess Alan Smith before, but oh, Kieran Dyer. Kieran Dyer, Mike's absolutely oh, yeah. done yours again. Get it. 
Never well, scored for England. Never scored for England. Well played, Mike. Putting these lads to shame. On the, I mean, I suppose it's the Ipswich connection. So, yeah. Uh, born 36 years ago. He's 36 years old. Not old, I is it? Th- I was thinking For a bloke who's been out of the game for a few years. 33 England appearances between 1999 and 2007. No goals. After leaving Newcastle, he only made 48 a- more club appearances in six years. Many years a substitute. Yeah. Um, 23 goals in 190 games. 23 goals. I didn't say Alan Smith wasn't. You went into Alan Smith before that yeah, day. Yeah, after the second dressing. And I was the only English player signed by Ruth Hollett at the time with the club. Yeah. Well played, Mike. I'll tell you that. Dog Are you still keeping a league table on these? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you bottom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dogger's listeners challenge was a new feature last week. Um, unfortunately, we had four people, a massive four, out of the thousand or so that listen each week, um, uh, get in touch. All wrong, all close to being right, but all wrong. And did I write down the answer from last week? No, <laughs> I can remember though. The, que- the question was: name in order of appearances the nationalities that have competed in the Premier League. Top with 178 lads was France. Uh, France, France. Yeah. Second was Holland. Yeah. And, and third was Spain. Spain. Yeah, so Germany. thanks to everyone who entered. Um, the lads had a man. Doggers no, challenge this me. week. What was that? Something to that effect. <laughs> yeah, doggers. This is challenge, and I'm not going to take answers from you. So it's it's get in touch if you'd like to be given a shout out on the show. So those four of you that tuned in, got to get it right. Got to get it right. Only going to read out winners. Um, which. Are the eight English towns or cities with league clubs that could host a league derby, assuming both clubs were in the same division? I'll read that out again. Which are the eight English towns or cities with league clubs, that's football league, uh, that could host league derby matches, assuming both clubs were in the same division? I think you know the answer to that. Give her a shout at TF Weekly Pod. Doggers Listens Challenge was ultimately... Victorious for me last week. Um, any ideas, lads? Without without giving it away, can can you think of them? Yeah, all of them. I'm just yeah. thinking of the logistics of this. Surely naming eight different cities and clubs on Twitter is going to use up a lot of your characters. You t- over two tweets, Mike. Think outside the box, and I think you can get them in quite easily. You don't have to spell them out in full. You just do a three or four letter abbreviation, Mike. Yeah, instead of Manchester, just move to a No, <laughs> MCR. Yeah. You know you could use train station terminology. Westfield. Does it have to be the same? Yeah. The same what, mate? Do the clubs have to be in the same town or city? Yeah. <laughs> that was the that, question. That is the exact so... question. No, mate. Dif- different towns and different cities. <laughs> oh, uh, I've got one. You got one. Well, right. He, he well. makes a fair point because Newcastle Sunderland is a derby. Yeah, but it's not. Yeah. Da- but listen to the question. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> it's not name eight derbies. Yeah, it's name cities. Name eight English towns or cities where they where they have basically more than one league club. That's you, it. You said they could host a derby. Yeah, that's it. Host a derby. No, it couldn't because it's not against a town or club in the same city. However, everyone got it first time. Yeah, exactly. Moving on. If any, if any, you're too idiots to just go far too into the. Ah, uh, Christ. Mike, talk to me about the Premier League, please. Let's talk about... Oh, sorry. Spurs first. So, Mike, I've got here on our notes, Mike on Spurs, Champions League contenders, question mark. Yeah, well, I, I think I think it would be tempting to talk about Arsenal where we, we talked about them a hell of a lot in the past and I, I don't think there's anything different to add, but 
<laughs> Sunday that week, and uh, pretty much with the same the same starting eleven as well, and, and playing a, a much more intense pressing game than Arsenal. So um, I, I, I think I, I don't think there's too much to be, to be found in that. To be perfectly honest, um, but I was really impressed with them. Um, I, I think they, they got on the front foot right from the off for positives, and they just didn't let Arsenal play. Um, pushing so high up the pitch and the likes of from, from Kane right through to Ali and, and the rest of the midfield just pushing so high up the pitch and Arsenal with the result couldn't get the ball through play it out of the defence and get it to, to their more creative players the likes of you know Cazorla or Ozil um, to, to make the difference until late on but I thought it was really indicative of, of, of Spurs and a bit of a change of tack really for them now whether this is Levy realising that he's got to pay for a new stadium pretty much going up and he's got to start saving some money and committing to a manager that may well be the case but I think under Pochettino now we've seen seen, seen start to build something and and really unlike the flaky teams that, that, that Spurs have had in years gone by there seems to be a really strong message and, and ethic of, of how they're going to play he got rid of a lot of players in the summer um, that the, the weren't going to play the way that he wanted to play that, that he inherited last year and I think that was a lot more important than the players he brought in he brought a few players in but the likes of Adebayor and, uh, and Kipoe and all those that, that he got rid of um, he's now got a really young hungry I think most weeks one of the youngest Premier League teams um, that, that, that gets put out every week um, and they're just buying into to, to his style um, and, and I think they're a really solid unit. You even look at they're playing with Carl Walker and Danny Rose at, at fullbacks, who I am not a big fan of either. But if you look at the way they play as a team, they've got one of the best defensive records in the league. So they, so they compensate for each other, not necessarily having the, the biggest star players, but they work really, really well as a team. And I think if they're strengthening the transfer window, they're, they're certainly got to get another striker and, and possibly some fullbacks. But I think I think they've got a good chance. Um, to get in the Champions League that I mean you look at Chelsea completely imploding it's still going to take a massive effort for them to, to get back into the Champions League spots and it's up there for grabs and Spurs uh, of the teams that are challenging for it I think uh, have got the most solid solid team that, that, that know how they play um, they, they, they've got a strong ethos going through that club for, for how to play how to set themselves up and I, and I think they give themselves a, a really good chance if they can step in in January get a couple more players in um, to, to, to give it a good go and get back in the Champions League Ben? Yeah just pick you up on that um, I think the biggest the best bit of business that was done in the summer was Toby Alderweireld stealing him from Southampton because one of the issues you always felt was with Spurs and as you say there you, you mentioned um, Rose and Kyle Walker who I've always thought were both a bit of a liability in terms of defence got bags of pace which helps them obviously recover but just <laughs> not the best positionally wise and they're all over the shop and Vertonghen I thought was probably one of the most overrated players in the league just the sort of the mistakes he would make and, and he just he was always trying to do far too much for a centre back since Alderweireld's come in he's completely settled him down they, they work really well as a partnership um, it probably helps that they're, they're obviously national teammates as well um, so they'll be playing a lot of games together although Vertonghen doesn't usually play centre back but you build up that chemistry together and I think um, they've, they've, that's given them a platform. I, they've, I don't think they've lost a game since the first week of there. Yeah, they, 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 they didn't deserve to lose that either. They were um, snakes by Man United. And they, they, exactly, it was a dodgy own goal from um, Kyle Walker where I, I thought they were pretty comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was just a, an individual error from him. But um, 
the, and they played that mental friendly with Bayern Munich like ah, yeah, four days, days before down, it, which yeah, is crazy. Stupid, wasn't it? But but they just they look they look really solid defensively. You don't see many teams cutting them open that easily. Um, obviously got a quality keeper, and, and you've as well. I've been really surprised with how effective um, Eric Dyer's been yeah. in that holding role. Um, he's obviously earned himself an England call up, um, and it, it, again Deli Ali, who's somehow managed to get him call up already, is, is as you say that they're all buying into the the ethos that he's trying to sell in the team and they're, they're working all really hard I think they're obviously young, the young fast team and you can see he's, he's got them playing in, in the right way and I, I think at the minute they, they look the, the best fourth I think they'll get the fourth spot they look the most um, I mean you're presuming then Leicester will drop team. out yeah um, just quickly on Chelsea Chelsea aren't finishing in the top four in the Mourinho that's, they're, yeah, so, they're yeah. so far off the pace that what are they um, 14 points behind Leicester and uh, ten, ten behind Spurs. Like it'd be have to be some nightmare for, for them, everyone. for everyone, for the, even if they were class the rest of the season, it's still going to be a hell of a challenge to get. Oh, uh, there's no chance. But anyway, just yeah, or what you were saying, Mike. I pretty much broadly agree in everything you say. One thing I worry about them uh, for making the top four is Harry Kane is a good player. They have yep. no one else mm-hmm. practically up front, and I'm sure. Yep. Spurs fans will know better than me. There, there are other striking options, but well, every got that and G that they've signed, yeah, they've got. Really there's there's the no one else here. Players. Like, right, if Harry Kane gets injured, the, you, you've got someone to come in. I mean, neither, neither do we, <laughs> but <laughs> we're not good for the top four, unfortunately. But yeah, that that's what I would worry about for Spurs. And yeah, no, I agree. I think as I said, uh, if they start in January, I think they've got a really good chance. I think yeah, if you look at Kane anyway, I think he's. He's a really good player, but he often prefers to, to drift and, and drop off into the hole or, or, or run the channel. So if, you, if they can get somebody, uh, an out-and-out striker down the middle to, to, to come in and, and take some of the load off him as well, I think I think that will that will kick him on and give him a really, really good chance. Play him in that number 10 role. <laughs> you know what? F- final win on Spurs, just on Danny Rose quickly. Danny Rose is the king of the one for the stats, where he burst <laughs> forwards it left back on the left wing no one in front of him no one in the box so he'll he'll kind of shoot with his left foot across the face of goal oh. and it looks good and the keeper dives not going in <laughs> like it, it's not never in a million years and there's nobody getting on the end of it yeah there's no, it's, it's just he, he loves a shot that's just got no chance of going but it looks quite close Carl Walker's pretty good at that yeah <laughs> the secret of their success um, <laughs> maybe, maybe they're trying to learn from us and that if you you, you harness all of your attacking threat <laughs> through your fullbacks like us with with Darryl Yamas. It, it's it's on they're on a winner. Mike, let's talk about Crystal Palace and Alan Pardew. Yeah, well, well, if you allude to there, I think it's uh, going to be a bit more uh, slanted on talking about Pardew, but firstly on, on the game, um, good win for Palace um, and Liverpool. Liverpool haven't been haven't been beaten in, in thirteen games prior to that, and, and Palace have just just stagnated a bit, but. Um, yeah, it seemed to what I saw that they, they, they really got out of the box fast. Um, uh, you know, the Palace that we've seen away from home over the last couple of years really hit them quickly in the first 20 minutes, got the goal, and, uh, and, and Liverpool never really got going. Made a few chances, but, but never really got going and, and were caught by a sucker punch at the end. So, fair play to the Palace for me. They have had a bit of a struggle, struggle scoring goals, certainly at home anyway, um, of late. But moved above Liverpool to eighth again and uh, again they're, they're going to have to have a really poor second half of the season to, to be in trouble and you think they'll they'll keep themselves ticking over and at the least be kind of a, a comfortable mid-table but I think uh, as you touched upon um, 
you. I don't know if you saw his, uh, uh, some of his pre-match press conferences a day or two before the Liverpool game this, this week, but uh, uh, one of the journalists was asking him about um, his style and uh, how him, him and Klopp might come to blows on the touchline, cause basically because they're, they're, they're both on the touchline all the time, like most managers. Um, and, and, he, and he turned this into, um, I think, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially Pardew's words were, I look at Jürgen Klopp and I see a lot of me in it. <laughs> which um, there, there's, a, there's a lot that I don't see to be honest um, especially one of the one of the darlings of the game and uh, one of the, one of the biggest upcoming young managers in the game most successful one couple of Bundesliga managed the Champions League final Pardew's never won the Bundesliga <laughs> <laughs> and then you got Pardew uh, basically claiming the similarities and they both get pre-animated on the touchline Um but I think we've been seeing it. I know Pardew's always had in his locker, in his locker to to uh, to be not only smug but uh, pretty uh, a touch of arrogance in his press conferences. But it seems this season to me that it's just gone up an extra notch. You remember that beginning of the season when they uh, when they played against Chelsea and he, and he came off and, uh, and and thanked Chelsea for playing their part in the game, <laughs> the, reigning, the, re- the reigning Premier League champions, which takes some uh, takes some goal. But I. Uh, I thought, yeah, I'll throw it over to you guys. I know uh, you, you like getting your teeth stuck in the pod. I know you've got them in a couple of weeks' time, but it just seems to me that he's, he's gone far beyond. The, he's cranked up another another notch in this, uh, this arrogance. So I'm quite enjoying it, I must be honest. I don't know about you. He's allowed to get away with it, isn't it? I mean, it's a bit hard to be as arrogant when you've only won, like, three games all season or whatever he did <laughs> under us from... Um... From then season he's, he's having another good November, isn't he? November yeah. was the month with, which kept us up. Year after year, <laughs> we'd win every game in November, and he started with a plum. Sorry, Alan Pardew. It's funny because Mike's expecting us to, to lay into him, but I've always been quite... quite, quite We've always been on the, the kind of the um, moderate spectrum of Pardew yeah. hatred, haven't we? I don't think he's this, this brilliant manager that, that some people would... would would portray him as or that himself would portray himself as I think he's decent he knows how to pick a winning team he knows when he's got a fully fit squad generally what to do with it um, <laughs> oh, right. I thought that was going to be he knows when he's got a fully fit squad <laughs> <laughs> and he, he, he never had that problem in Newcastle when he had a fully fit, fit team and one of his best players available he, he, he set us up well and, and, and Palace have got injuries at the moment yeah and I think everyone was expecting the wheels to come off and he somehow I mean this is a guy he's been through it quite a few times he's, he's been through Mares he's possibly learned something from it he's not he's not he, he's not lacking experience he's, he's been through it enough times to know right the last time I went on a bit of a run like this this wasn't working this wasn't working you've got to give him a bit of credit I think for for, for Sunday and it's just like um, I don't know I, I, I just well, don't know. I wrote I wrote me blog today which should be on the True Faith website tomorrow which I do every week about the winners and losers from the Premier League's action. Never had anyone comment on it, not that bothered. Uh, <laughs> Don't worry, I've got a feeling that the haters will be yeah, out for you. Once they find out that I write it. They're sharpening their knives now. And Mike uh, also writes uh, the um, press conference blog, which gets on the site every Wednesday. If Is that one in the post, Mike? Is it for this week? Uh, it is. There is a bit of a clock party uh, comparison, yeah. Cool, yeah, have a look. Uh, www.true-faith.co.uk while I'm on about True Faith, uh, the nation's best football fanzine, um, it's now totally free of charge. Obviously, it used to cost £3 when it was hard copy and also the digital subscription. It's now completely free of charge, so what a bargain. You've got 
uh, over 100 pages of Newcastle United content at your fingertips on your tablets, on your mobile, on your laptop, on your phone. Uh, download it. I write the Through Black and White Eyes um, piece, which is a diary of the season uh, as it goes on. And there's just loads and loads of really good content. But back to um, Pardew and Palace. On In my blog, I basically said that was a massive win for, for Liverpool. Liverpool. For Palace. <laughs> Because, A, obviously you have this Liverpool resurgence and a fantastic result uh, against Chelsea. You had um, Pardews and Palace's good start to the season potentially being wasted. Hadn't scored a goal in open play since August. Um, some poor results, some indifferent results. Losing to West Ham at home wasn't great. Um, and it, you know They would have dropped out of the, the top 10, I think, before the international break. And to, to get a win at Anfield, which isn't easy, after winning there last year, it was it's you know fair play to Alan Pardew. Nothing has changed. I disagree with you, Sai. As a manager, he hasn't changed. Any game they're expected to win at home, like like Palace will never beat anyone four or five at home. In in all his full full scenes in Newcastle, I think he failed to beat a single team by four goals besides Stroke, who had nine men. So I, I still think with the, with the side he's got. And play, and I think Palace is a good fit for him because there are. Listen, whenever we mention Palace on Twitter, we get fans having a go with Palace fans, and certainly Newcastle fans don't hate Crystal Palace. There's no animosity there. A lot of Newcastle fans hate Pardew for a lot of football reasons, but but also for a lot of non-football reasons. Which, if you take away Palace fans' bias towards Pardew, if they actually examined, and they don't have to, you know, Pardew Newcastle United is not the interest of, of Crystal Palace fans. Well, I'm sure Crystal Palace fans, if their club was put in the same position, would feel the same. Alan Pardew is really, really good when he has the tools at setting up a, a, a team to play counter-attacking football, which more often than not works away from home. When he's expected to perform or has to like force the game, he's no good. He can't do it. And, you know, Palace will win home games. They'll have a, a good side. They'll win home games against the likes of Norwich and Bournemouth this year, it's very unlikely though that they'll beat them 4-5-0 and the better Palace do, the harder it becomes for Pardew, you know, once people start seeing them as a threat, once teams start sitting a bit deeper against them at home I think they'll struggle, but you know what they're, they're a better side than Newcastle this year, that's for sure so Pardew's gone up in the world not in terms of the size of the club, but in, in terms of the the, 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 quali- the calibre of squad he's got to work with, and it, it was a really fantastic win for him he's still a prick um, Mike should Swansea sack Gary Monk? Um, I'm, I'm a bit undecided on this one. Um, I know I know you've had a, a few discussions in the past, and even last season, yeah, you weren't convinced by him, um, obviously. But I think looking back, since he came in in February 2014, um, kept him up, then had a good season last season, finished highest league finish at Swansea, finished eighth in the league. Um, I think he did a good job. Now, the interesting point is now. His, his sort of attitude and whether it's arrogance getting in the way of reportedly at Swansea board um, wanted a director of football with experience to come in um, this season to, to, to come and help him I mean they, they, they've won one out of the last eight and that was against Villa so that, that doesn't really count at the moment um, so the board has gone to him bear in mind he's a 36 year old manager and this is his first really tricky spell um, uh, in, in the job or in football management as it is um, and, and the board went to him and, and, and have reportedly offered him this, you know, man, um, director of football to come in, and, he, and he's turned it down by all accounts. Now, for me, that seems uh, an ill-advised move um, for him. I think 
years old and you've been fortunate to get a first job in the Premier League um, he did a good job um, last season um, I, I, I think I don't think there's any bones about that but now that he's he, he's come across his, his first real real downturn in form significant downturn in form um, I think he's a bit naive to, to, to try and take on the Swansea board on this one they've shown in the past when when Lau got good to see eye to eye with them, that they could be pretty ruthless um, and get rid of managers pretty quickly. Now, I think the fact that they don't know whether he has the ability to turn it around because he's never done it before as a manager, I think he has to see that and, uh, and take on the help. And I think it undermines him less than it would do for a more experienced manager. Um, I just think he, he may well have shot himself in the foot with that and, and, and possibly cost him. Now we see David Moyes being sat by Real Sociedad today. Now that could prompt a team like Swansea to, to, to pull the trigger and, uh, and make the decision even more quickly. But I just think, I think he did a very good job last season, but I think now that he's hit this poor run of form, I think he'd be naive if reporters have believed that he's turned down this, this recommendation from the Swansea board. And I think he, he's put himself in a, in a worse position than it, than it was before that. Ben? I think it's interesting. I mean, obviously, he's been at the club, was it 10 years as a player? Um, he was obviously club captain for a long time, so he's he's obviously got the job on the back of that, of being ingrained in the sort of the, the club's um, run to the Premier League, and, and he was obviously a big big part of that, being the captain. Uh, and I think that's what worked in his favour um, when, when they gave him the job. I mean, obviously, he wouldn't, wouldn't have got that job anywhere else. Um, but he, as you say, he had a good season last year, getting the mate. I think the difficult years is now. Obviously, it, it's the same with any manager. The, when the expectation goes up, I mean, they've, they've backed him this summer. Gomez, um, Ayu, they've they've got some good players in that team um, to to build around. And I, I think it's what you were t- just talking about, Pardew. There, teams are respecting them a bit more now. That they're, they're a tough team to to play against when they're playing well, but when they're not, um, they they've just been lacking that cutting edge. And as you say, I think it's been a really poor run at the minute I, I don't think they will sack him um, but it, it's interesting you, you talk about there about the director of football I think maybe he looks at some of the other managers that have taken them on and it, I, I think it's it hasn't really worked for, for many of them to be honest I mean you look at someone like Rogers at, at Liverpool obviously this um, transfer committee that came in and things and he sort of always seemed to be sounding as if that was a it was a negative thing because obviously it took control out of his hands I think that's where Monk's probably thinking. Hang on a minute. If I'm if I'm gonna sort of go go down here, I'm gonna do go down by my own sword, not by by director of football. So I, I get where you're getting at there. I mean, I think he probably does need some some experience around him, but I think that would be better suited to getting in a, a, a member of the backroom staff, like a, an experienced assistant coach, maybe to to come in and help him, um, like a wise head. Rather than someone above him to sort of handcuff him, I guess. Um, so I, I, I see where you're coming at from that, but I, I think he probably, in this day and age, the, the way football works, I think he's probably thinking it would be a, it would be a much tougher job for him um, if, if sort of some of his responsibilities were taken away from him. In terms of the, the style of playing things, as I say, I think just teams are, are getting wiser to how they play. And, I mean, obviously there's been a bit of a drop in form of some of the players I mean Shelby I think is a really good player but he's he's not really been as, as consistent um, I use dro- uh, goals have dried up um, 
and, and Gomez as well isn't dominating games like he was. I mean, he went on a brilliant run at the start of the season. Um, looks brilliant. Montero, who was was really dynamic on the wing, looking brilliant. Hasn't really been been popping up in games. So I think they're just they're, unfortunately for them they're going through a bit of a run where they, they just needs a, a bit of a spark to to get back on on winning ways. Um, mm. But it's, it's difficult. I mean, as you say, it's his first real challenging period, and I think it coincides with the fact that they're. Obviously, the the expectations are going up, so that that's why they're, they're talking about him being sacked. I mean, I don't think they would have necessarily been been saying that last season if he'd gone through a similar run. It's just because they've they've been building up to to a level where they now they they're expected to achieve things, and they've obviously invested in the team. That that you've got to have the results to back that up. Um, I don't think they'll they'll sack him. Um, I think they'll they'll give him the time to write it. But um, I mean, as I say, it's the the Premier League's. So there's no way they're going to get relegated. Um, I think they'll probably. I don't know where we. I think we pretty much all had them that they would finish about eighth, eighth in the Premier League, in the pre-season podcast. And I think that's probably where they're aiming at at the minute. I don't see them getting any higher than that. Um, but just, I, I don't think they're going to get any lower just because of the quality of the teams about them. And I think they'll be happy with that. I think they are struggling big time. They're born with it at home. After the international break, which would be a nice game for Monk mm-hmm. if he keeps the job to just put a bit of daylight there. Let's see he'll be in charge for that game. And then if he wins that, that'll give him another three or four games realistically. Interest, uh, interesting stat on uh, Gomez. In the last 514 minutes that he's played, he's only had two shots on target. That's incredible. That's for, bad. For a I mean, as I said, it's just Shelby's playing too deep at the minute. They're not. They're not getting forward to to give him the service, and I think it's a bit like us. Well, against when, Norwich, when isolated against Norwich, I don't think they had a shot on target. Yeah. Which and again, Monk, Monk's not. He doesn't help himself. He against Newcastle at, at the Liberty both seasons. We've got a poor record against Swansea, but he's been very arrogant after the game. I mean, we drew two two there last season, and we could have won it. Once he was a better team, but he just said it was so it was so easy at times. It was embarrassing. It's not the kind of thing you normally hear a Premier League manager say about another club. Very and he, he's made these comments constantly. And again at the weekend, he's kind of standing there in the post match interview saying, "I don't know how I haven't won." Well, you haven't actually tested the keeper, Gary. Like that. Normally, that's a prerequisite. You should you should be able to see that. Yeah. But if he can't, if he yeah. if he's being honest and he can't see how they've not won that game, then you maybe you aren't the right man for the job. But. I think we'll have to leave it there, lads, because we've been going a while. Fiftieth proper podcast and all that. It's a celebratory one. <laughs> celebratory. We're allowed to run over and yeah. Uh, thanks very much for listening. I really appreciate it. We will have the Martin Hardy podcast out this week. It'll probably be Friday's radio show, and uh, we'll be back next. We'll do one next week. Mm, we'll, see. we'll see. We might do a special it's next week. week International week. I. Uh, we might do a special podcast once again. Uh, follow us at TF. Weekly pod on Twitter and um, yeah, listen to the NUST podcast. It's the best podcast you'll listen to this week, if I say so. Thanks. <laughs>